Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family. Equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. Family, let me, let me start with a little side trail teaching. Dave just made a statement. Lord, be with Pete as he, as he preaches that which you impressed upon his heart. All right? Um, let me remind you. The really wonderful thing about preaching exegetically is, for the most part, I know what God's going to lay on my heart next week. Whatever verse I ended with this week is what God laid upon my heart next week. All right? Now, that becomes very important for a number of reasons. First, for me. Uh, selfishly, uh, do you know how hard it is to sit there on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday and go, oh, Lord, what am I going to do on Sunday? It's brutal. It's brutal. And whether you understand it or not, uh, your eyes piercing back to my singular stand right here, and any teacher feels that same thing. So Thursday is brutal. But you see, also it also impacts you. How many times have you thought, as you sat there, why is he saying that? He's saying that right to me. And I don't know if you have had that experience but I will tell you, you, many of you have shared that experience back. And you need to understand, I've never, ever, ever looked down and said, I did that because of you. I never would. A pastor is supremely in trouble when he begins to do things like that. But what it, you then learn is, is the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes word from God's word and impresses it upon your heart in a, in a way that's, personally applicable and then you then go home and after you've badmouthed the pastor for an hour or two you realize wow that was for me from the holy spirit and it, it's a transformational morning for you and you realize and and you understand the dynamic that you filled with the holy spirit given to you by the gift of salvation in jesus christ are imparted truth from God's Word that comes into your heart, personally giving you application, and you realize that the whole morning experience isn't just a bunch of people in a room singing songs to God, but that God was here. God was with us, and God went home with you in a very personal way. And family, I will, as much as that's a segue, that also might be the heart of what we're speaking on this morning. God's going to talk to us as a parent in Hebrews chapter 12. And in that, you're going to learn the position of what it means to be his kids. Uh, you also will learn the importance of being a good parent today. And those of you who are still in that responsibility, you may take notes because I believe that this has personal application to how important it is to show our kids what it means to be good parents, because being good parents, we reflect the ultimate parent, God the Father. Years ago, I was in the doctor's office. Years ago. 
This was before they could come and, and isolate a part of uh, your body. And I was going in for some minor surgery. The doctor looked at me and says, Pete, there is nothing, or young man, there was nothing I can give you that's going to take away the pain. That you're just going to have to tough this out. All of a sudden, my father, who's standing right next to me, grabs my face and he says, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Then he grabs my hand, and as God is my witness, he crushed it. And this man began surgery down below. And I can only tell you to this day, I remember nothing from neck down. Or better, shoulders down. I remember having my hand crushed. And I remember the face of my father. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. And family, you and I are going into Hebrews 12 today. And you're going to be struck with one thought. That the Father, who loves us so very much, and we His kids, are so connected to Him that no matter what we're going through, He's allowing it, just like my father knew I needed that surgery. He's directing it. But he's also saying, look at me. Look at me. I have a responsibility to prepare you for the future. And as we'll see that at the end today, that future is your and my holiness as we stand before him in a future day. So if you will, join me in Hebrews chapter 12. You can look on it on the text behind me. Uh, I would rather have you in it, and in being in it, jot along some notes along the side, and then go home and spend thought time throughout the week as you look at these things. We begin in verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin... You have, yet, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when you reproved, or when you, when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the ones He loves and chastens every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there? His father does not discipline. If you were left without discipline, in which all have participated, when you there, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have an, had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems rather painful than, un or than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those 
who have been trained by it. I want you to notice right from the beginning, you're going to be talked to by God as if you're His kids. And He's going to tell us why times in our lives are difficult, why they seem to be hard. Now, His goal is going to be to teach us first endurance. And remember, endurance, as we looked at it last week, endurance has the idea of not just, I can take it, but has the idea that I can overcome, I can be trained to excel in this discipline. I can learn this craft and do it well. I can accomplish everything that God has for me. So endurance is a much more uh, demanding visual privilege that we have. We can be excellent, and ultimately our excellence is going to be in the holiness by which God brings us into. So his goal is to teach us endurance because ultimately the process should lead to holiness as we stand face to face with him, and he will refer to that as the finish line. That's the finish line. So as we begin today, we're going to, to look at verses 3 and 4, and I want you to see in that we are called to a holy standard. We're called to a holy standard because we're his kids. And kids in a family are treated differently than anybody else around the block. How many times have any of us, when we were children, looked up to our parents and said, but Bobby doesn't have to do that. And what did your mom and dad tell you? Bobby's not my child. And so understand, God's treating us in a different way. We're called to a higher standard. And here I want you to, to, to know a little background. Here, we believe that the, those who received this letter are Jewish men and women in the city of Rome. What we understand and believe at that time, there were six synagogues. Six synagogues that ultimately came under the influence of the gospel. And in time, history tells us that three became evangelical synagogues. Three became traditional synagogues. And in time, they virtually separated. So that believers who followed Christ went to three, and, and those who stayed in Judaism took the other three. And this is the time of Nero. Remember Nero. You name your dog Nero. You don't name your children Nero. Nero mistreated believers, but he mistreated his people as he was an absolute dictator. His morals were appalling. But in A.D. 64, which we believe was months after the writing of the book of Hebrews, Nero turns on the believing community in Rome. He turns on them in such a way that he starts a fire. His goal is, is to rebuild the area that he burns down because he enjoys the process of building and he wants his brand in this area. 
It goes far beyond what he had originally hoped in the burning, and now he needed a scapegoat, and Christians who were already hated and disliked became a fitting scapegoat. But there had been a, there had been a decree to protect the Jewish religion. And so as believers stayed in the Jewish synagogues that were evangelical, they received somewhat of a protection from what the other believers were telling them. And so you'll see that reflected. You've not suffered unto blood yet. It hasn't been a difficult time for you. And so that's the stage that we have as we look at what's going on here. And he encourages them in two key issues. He wants them to focus on the example for endurance, but not in anyone other than Jesus Christ. He took the hatred of the enemy. And so he says, I want you to endure. I want you to practice taking on the hatred of the enemy. And he says, look to Jesus. Family, Jesus took on the hatred of the community. Through the trials, we are told, like a sheep is mute before his executioner. So Jesus didn't open his mouth. We have him going before first the Jews, then the Roman government, never to complain, never to, never to debate, never to say it's unfair, he took what he asked. And he looks to these receivers of this book. And he says, I want you to look at the example of Jesus. Set your focus on the example of endurance that he gives. Verse 3 then says, look at him and not grow weary and faint-hearted. These two rule, or these two words are used by an athlete who throws themselves over the finish line at the, at the final. And every one of us have seen that image, haven't we? As it's been played out on TV. I give you one here. This is, this is a young lady by the name of Hillary Carruthers, who last year in the London, um, the London Marathon crawled across the finish line, finishing 18th. You can see her there as she extends her hand to go over the finish line and end. And as the, as the book tells us, she began to have trouble in the 10th mile and said, tough it out. Tough it out. She said she got to the point where she was dizzy. She couldn't, she couldn't focus. She continued on. Family, I want you to understand, as you see the agonizing picture here, she ended three minutes faster than her fastest time. And she throws herself over the finish line. This is the picture that God has for you and I as we finish our lives for His honor and glory. He says, I want you to pack it full, push it out, and finish strong as if you were fainting at the finish line. Give it everything. But He says, don't give it everything and die early. Finish and finish well. Finish and finish well. 
The Father wants you to focus on Jesus and not allow any distraction to dismiss your eye on the finish line of heaven. He also tells the readers that they've not had it so hard yet. You haven't bled yet. In a few weeks, you and I are going to celebrate and pray for the persecuted church. Family, the persecuted church around the world, the group that, that this text of Scripture has already told us, the world doesn't deserve them, are being brutalized in China, in India, in North Korea. They're being brutalized in Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, Syria. They're being brutalized throughout many of the places of the world, and they know blood. I want to suggest to you that you and I would be at least in the application of those who are talking here. You not, you haven't suffered yet. And if I could give you again that visual picture of mom and dad at home, you have just skinned your knee, you come to them crying and teary-eyed, and if you had a parent like mine, or you were a parent like mine, it would have gone something like this. Oh, dust it off, you're not hurt. Right? Come on, be, be tough. In my case, you're a man. In my, in my sister's case, you're a slusher. And so they're given the same desires and the same demands. And you and I as Americans, we have to understand our privileged position. There are times when you might point the finger of persecution. But remember... You and I haven't bled yet. You and I haven't bled yet. So remember the reminder. You and I are called to a higher standard. You and I are expected to be believers and act accordingly. And while we do, let me quickly say, pray for them. Pray for them that they receive God's divine protection. Pray for them that we... We see them focus on Christ. But as we pray for them to focus on Christ, let us also pray that you and I don't focus on their persecution. We pray on their faithfulness. They're God's kids too. I want you to notice, secondly, the Father's Word is final. The Father's Word is final. So in verse 5, we begin to see a quote that he takes us back into the Old Testament in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3. But I want to begin by pushing back so that you understand as we're going to focus on Christ, Hebrews 5, 8 says this, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And so Jesus is a picture of our endurance, and yet as God's son... There was never been an eternal moment where God, God the Son had to obey the Father like you and I would naturally think of a family experience of obedience. God the Father and God the Son were such in such divine understanding of one another and in such divine agreement. There was never a moment when He said, Oh, I submit to your authority. The entire eternal experience between God the Father and God the Son was, oh, that's amazing, Father. 
Oh, that's amazing, son. Why did you think that way? Oh, that's incredible. And so you had this divine existence of wonderful agreement and partnership, and now he wears the mantle of humanity. And in order to fulfill Scripture, the Son must be compliant and submissive to the very will of God that in eternity past, He's in absolute agreement to. And Jesus is expected to do the eternal promise of salvation. The Father held Him accountable as His divine Son. So we see in the garden when He says, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not mine, but your will be done. It was His will also in the past, in the eternities. But here, He is by Scripture and by God's will demanded to carry it out. And He does. And so, it is an incredible reminder, family, of the finality of the authority of God. So here in Hebrews 12.5, that picture, God holds you to a higher standard, you're His family. And His authority and the makeup of His Word is, divine, is designed to be one of obedience and lordship. Family, again, I can only tell you my family. There were four Four words that dictated my family experience, whether it was mom, whether it was dad. There were four words. Because I said so. Four words. Why? Four words. When? Four words. How? Four words. Didn't matter the question. Four words. Family, the first century church lived under that premise. They didn't come to church hoping for an emotional experience. They didn't come to church hoping that they liked the music. They didn't come to church hoping that the pastor was good and he studied and he was funny and he was, he was thorough. They didn't come for any of that. They came to hear the Father's words. And when they went out from gathering in His name, they lived the four words. Because if they heard it in the Old Testament, they lived it out in the community. Why did they live it out in the community? Because I said so. Family, when you and I look at the early church, it was a powerful organization because it was a simple organization. It did what God's Word said. Its behavior, its treatment of others, its worldview were all focused on one idea. What did the Father expect of us? 
So when we read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, it's a summary of the behavior of the church. They gathered to hear God's Word. And, and as the apostles preached it, they accepted it as authority immediately. They gathered for prayer. They shared, sold their, their things so that others could have needs. It was a wonderful, submissive community. But I want you to understand clearly, it didn't come out because they liked one another. It didn't come out because they were obligated to each other. It came out for one reason. The Lord said so. And so when you have Scripture, He tells us things. You are the salt of the earth. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? So they knew right from the beginning that the Lord expected them to go out and behave just like a believer. And the authority of the Word was the driving force. Go out and behave like a believer. He goes on. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Don't think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So when they saw the authority of Scripture, they didn't go home that day and go, you know, I know the pastor said that, but do we really have to do that? That was never the idea. They went home and said, well, honey, how are we going to apply God's Word in our life today? How are our neighbors going to see that and be impacted? How, how, how can we see the truth of Scripture be played out into our family in a greater capacity? When they saw that Jesus had taught, you cannot serve two masters, then selling a piece of property, as Barnabas does in Acts chapter 4, is a simple thing. Because now generosity is not even an issue, as you and I understand generous. Generosity is simply obedience. My master's Jesus Christ. Not the stuff I hold on to, not my 401k, not my investment plan. God is my master. I don't need these things. Family, when he said, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and I'll take care of you, all these things will be added to you. What you sleep, what you wear, what you eat. They, they simply believe them. We're going to glory. We're going to heaven. And along the way, God's going to supply whatever I need in order to go from here to there. I trust Him. And they walked out of Bible study. They walked out of worship. They walked out of their time together, engaged and committed to bring their life under the authority of the one who had already taught them. The early church was powerful and used by God because it was simply and ultimately obedient. Family, they didn't worship with a sense of emotion. They listened to God's Word as its final authority. There was no, there was no contemplative aspect of worship. There was no emotional outpouring in worship. There was adherence to God's Word. One reformer could say it this way. 
as God's Word is confirmed by no human authority. So no human power is able to weaken its strength. What it said, we put our lives under its authority. And we never challenged its authority as something that we had the right to do. No human had the right. So when God asks something of us through His Word, He expects it to be carried through. We are His children. And family, just for the sake of, of observation, I challenge you. Give a, give a quick run-through of the book of First Peter. Just skim the five chapters. You don't have to look. What I want you to look at is the verbs. The action verbs. I want you to ask yourself this question. Ready? Are they commands or are they suggestions? You read them. I'll be interested. Email me. Tell me next week. Notice what it said. And if they're really, if they're really suggestions, do we apply them? If they're really commands, do we submit to them? I want you to notice thirdly, the Father's demands are familial. So in verse 6 through 9, he tells us why he does this. He does this because we're his kids, and he is absolutely in love with his kids. So the first thing we should think about when we are suffering is our Father's love. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. Now, I want you to understand, you can't prove that concept to anyone. You can't look down and validate that even in your own life. We can't prove by reason or human understanding that we are being disciplined in a different way or in a unique way because of God's love. We only can take even this by faith. We trust it to be true. But the logic of faith here is simple. We are God's children. God loves His children. He is bound by His own nature and His own covenant to do good to them. And that good is to receive from God times of hardship from His hand, discipline in our life experience, and it's all given to us because He loves us tremendously. More than any earthly father, the Heavenly Father wants His children to be righteous, mature, obedient, complete, responsible, capable, and trusting. We benefit in all His ways and even more when we accept His discipline. Family, I can only tell you, as I, as I often have uh, by illustration, two weeks before my first son was born, I prayed, Lord, teach me what it is to know you more. Now, I'll be fair with you. I, I had somewhat of a Pollyanna kind of a thought process to this. And I thought, oh, Lord, you know, I'm going to see more people one to Christ. I'm going to be more like Billy Graham. My prayers are going to be answered. 
It's going to be incredible. Two weeks later, my son was born. You can't have a better thing for a pastor to have a son born on Sunday. Especially before church, because I can go in and show pictures and I can just be so proud. You want to know something? Church didn't finish. And an usher pulled me aside and says, Pete, you better go back to the hospital. They're going to, they're going to, take, they're going to take Peter to Children's Orthopedic. And Peter never came home from Children's Orthopedic. And you want to know something? I can remember a lot of the incidents, but let me tell you what I remember more. God answered the prayer. I want to show you more of me. I want to show you more of me. And, and the experiences, the, the, the hymns that were, were chosen for us to sing in worship on Sundays over, over this period of time, each one of them were like darts to your soul. And, and it, they were just, as, as they were painful to receive, they were also the most encouraging things that you could ever experience. And you could go after seven weeks and go, oh Lord, what a privilege it is to know you more. What a privilege it is to walk with you more. And it was brutal. But it was true. You cannot tell anybody, God did that. Because He loved me. But Scripture can. And because Scripture can, I know that my Father validates that. And I know it to be true. Family, these words remind His children that when hardship is their experience, it is God's method of training. So when we face tough times, they are really His beloved sons and daughters who are experiencing the tough time. When God doesn't give you the answer to prayer that you're hoping for, it is not because He loves you. It's because He really loves you. The action is discipline on the part of God to be glorified. And He it gains His glory through your experience as He gives you glory into the community as He uses you and you identify with Him. When God is glorified, the whole believing family is glorified by our singular actions. And remember, the world's not worthy to see God's family and the hurt that they receive. I want you to notice, lastly, the Father's desire for us is to share His holiness. It's found in verses 10 and 11. And this might be the greatest example for a parent. Never forget, we're, we're human, right? How many times have, have you and I, older moms and dads this morning, how many times have, have you, parents who are, who, are, who are at the task right now, how many times have you disciplined with the wrong motive? You, you were embarrassed 
in line at Walmart or Target. And your kid was just making an absolute jerk of themselves. And you lashed out because you were embarrassed. Have you ever disciplined your child because you were angry? And then had to go back first and apologize to your kid, and then they still had done wrong, so you then had to discipline them in a better attitude. You see, you and I can discipline, and it's the right thing the wrong way. God never, never makes that mistake. God never makes that mistake. When you receive discipline from God, you are reminded all afresh just how indebted you really are to God's grace, God's goodness, and God's love to you. Family, the holiness of God that He's speaking of here is God's preparation for His children. He gives us holiness when He when He brings us to Him. When we respond to the Gospel, He gives us, He implants holiness. But you and I spend our entire lives building on that complete holiness that He gives us. So we refer to sanctification as not only something that is given to us, but something that we grow in and we continue to experience all our lives. And He's referring to that continued growth here. So Acts 14, verse 22, summarizes that lifelong growth in this way. He says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And so family, we grow in holiness often because we've experienced tough times. God never lets a moment of your life serve without purpose. So family, understand, no cancer surprises God. No cancer is, is, is left for you to wonder, why did I get this? No cancer is wasted on a negative experience, but in love He allows you to experience a tough moment that you may be drawn and reminded not only of His love, but His care, His faithfulness, his desire to see you grow holy. No financial setback is ever given to you because merely you mishandled the funds that you had or you went through a time of economic disaster. God uses these moments for retooling and retraining if you have used them incorrectly. He uses them to remind you that we don't trust in our finances. We don't trust in Wall Street. We trust in the goodness of God, and He walks with you. And as you seek first the kingdom and His righteousness, all of a sudden you understand the economics of God's care. You don't go through a, a period of tough times where God doesn't have a plan and identifies His purpose as He works through you to give you greater holiness. Elihu was the fourth man who talked to Job. And I, I want to leave you his lengthy passage of Scripture. I want you to hear what he says, beginning chapter 33, verse 19. 
He says, man is also rebuked with pain on his bed and with continual strife in his bones so that his life loathes bread and his appetite the choicest food. His flesh is so wasted away it cannot be seen. His bones that were not seen stick out. His soul draws near the pit and his life to those who bring death. If there be for him an angel, a mediator, one of a thousand, to declare to man what is right for him, he is merciful to him and says, deliver him from going into the pit. I have found the reason. And he gives us the reason in verse 29. Behold, God does all these things twice three times with a man to bring back his soul from the pit so that he may be lighted with him the light of life. And family, someone who 2,000 years before the understanding of God's grace through Christ Jesus could simply remind these Old Testament characters that life that's given to you by way of discipline and hardship God uses to prepare to bring you to another day. Not the pit of hell, but the privileged position as His children who've accepted the grace of Jesus Christ by faith and have chosen to follow Him have been prepared systematically and purposefully to enter heaven and be face to face with the Savior, Jesus Christ. Family, you and I go through a pain in the neck time right now, don't we? I hate COVID. I hate what it's doing to our country. I hate what it's doing to our finances. I hate what it's doing to our economic structure. I hate what it's doing to America at all. But it wasn't God's surprise. You and I have a purpose to show the world we're His kids. And God may discipline us. God may challenge us. And should I take out the word may, God will. And the question will be, will the world be privileged to see the Savior Jesus Christ through His kids? If they reject it, they were not worthy to receive it. If they are drawn to it, your faithfulness has been used by example to bring glory of God to this community. Father in heaven, may our community see who we are. And dear God, if seeing who we are comes at the cost of our discipline, then Father, bring it on. May we be more mature, more complete, not lacking anything because we've put our hearts and our minds confidently on Christ Jesus because we're the kids of the very God of gods. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you.